0: 30-minute reviews, Beware of Spoilers, and Exploring Hyperspace Lanes are all available ad-free. But if you want to support the show, you can go to bewareofspoilers.com and click the support button that's available on the Spotify website. Thank you. Good evening, and welcome to Beware of Spoilers. I am Adam with a slight sore throat, and you might get a little something, you know, from my voice being a little nasally, but, you know, it is what it is. We'll try our best to move beyond this. So, if you listened to my review of The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes um, last week, well, let's, let's rephrase that. The review was when the book came out. So this would have been 2020, very early, to, or mid-2020, uh, was when this book came out. And I sat down and I read the whole thing in one sitting. I was none too pleased with the book. I wasn't particularly pleased with it. And then I listened to it again recently because Josie and I were going to do a big Hunger Games ranking. And we get to the the book. And, and I very briefly addressed it last week in the episode where we ranked the Hunger Games. Where I'm like, look, I'm not super gung-ho on this book. I think this book has a lot of weird things that happen in it. Like, I wasn't particularly keen on the relationship between Lucy Gray and and Snow, and I wasn't particularly keen on how they characterize Lucy Gray in the book. Um, And and I think that, like, that kind of had me going into this going, like, I don't know, how much can you improve on this? Because, like, by and large, going to take mostly the same issue. I think too. It's like my other issue was like when you see this, when you when you read the book, it's kind of like Snow is meant to be a kind of good person, and you know this that, the other. I'm not going to talk about all that. I think that the the movie is leagues better than the book. Um, this I would say. You could make the case is my favorite Hunger Games movie, and this isn't recency bias where I'm forgetting the past movies. I've watched all the movies within the past month or so um, because we did that episode. I want I wanted to rewatch. So I reread all the books, re-listened, re-listened all the books, re-watched all the movies, and then here we are. And I don't think it's recency bias to say this is my favorite of them because I think it it takes the when you adapt a book to a movie. It's about what is the core message of the source and how do we get that to ring true in the in in, in the movie? How do we keep the core message intact? And I think the book gets lost in what it's trying to say. And to an extent like that's a common issue with The Hunger Games as a series because like even when you get to like Mockingjay like, by the time you get to the end and you're like, well, now we're going to hold another game. It's like, this is a weird thing. And then for Katniss to be on board with it, it's like, yeah, it, it's kind of a weird thing to happen by the time you get to the end. Fast forward to, um, to here, where we are now with this. I think that, like, the, the messaging of this is about how Snow turns evil. And by the time it happens in the book It doesn't feel as earned as it does here um, What he goes through Doesn't line up with Where he ends up As well in the book as it does here um, And maybe it is the difference between visual and and, and and reading it Maybe it is just the You know The fact that when you live in that, the movie does a great job of just living in moments, I think that's one of the things that does really well, um, and not glorifying the action, um, to an extent, I think that this movie is, like, I think, I feel like I'm, I'm just kind of talking in circles here, let's just get down to it, the movie's great, um, again, Snow Earns, his turn, I think that, you know, and I think, too, it's, like, part of it is, I think that there is an issue with the way that Suzanne Collins kind of handles moments in her books, because I remember even reading Mockingjay, you have to go back a few times, I was like, wait, oh, wait, Rue died, uh, not Rue, um, Prim died, let me go back to that, um, I think the movie does a great job of kind of, le- like, letting us get to know Snow as a person, and seeing how driven he is to kind of move along. Because the book is so overlong, and because there's so much of his inner monologue going with it, because again, like The Hunger Games the original trilogy, it is written from the perspective, in the first-person perspective, because the book has so much of that, it makes Snow come off kind of wishy-washy. When you strip all that away, he feels a lot more assertive, he feels a lot more active in his own movie, and he feels like he is making decisions that are impacting the plot without endlessly complaining, and, and he feels more on top. Um, because of how condensed down the timeline is, it feels like he's going through a lot more in a, in a much shorter period, which also helps to generate more. Um, oh, I see why he's radicalizing. It is the... You know, there was that episode of Supergirl that I talk about where they do the backstory of Agent Liberty. That's kind of what this movie is, and it handles it a lot better than the book did. Um, Tom Blythe, I think his name is, who plays Snow, is great in this. Um, Rachel Zegler, um, we we talked about her before with, uh, what's it called, with um, Shazam Fury of the Gods. And we talked about her with, um, what was the other, oh, West Side Story, her big debut also fantastic in this, um, and I think that, like, she plays the character perfectly without feeling too manic-pixie dream-girl-ish, which is kind of my issue with Lucy in the book, where it's like, she feels too flighty, um, she feels like she has a point and a drive that's not just, this is the object of Snow's affection, and it creates a character who feels more autonomous, um, and then when she gets to, when she gets to the end and she does do the quote-unquote betrayal, um, which we don't know how much of that is actually Snow, or Snow, uh, is, is real or Snow's paranoia. Like, that is so well done. And, and when that happens, because this character has been given more agency, and has been given more of a active role in her own survival in this, um, and it's not so much being given more of an active role, it's that because it's not as stretched out, it feels more like she's trying to do it, you know keyed in, um, and it feels more earned, for lack of a better word, um, you don't really need to earn the right to your own survival, um, and, uh, who was the, like, the other two that I really like. oh, um, I loved the way they adapted Tasca, especially, because um, I think that, like, Viola Davis is just doing a fantastic job as, as gall. like, she's just, like, chewing the scenery, loving every second of being on screen. Like, she's being given the ability to play a character who's just batshit insane. And just, I'm going to take this opportunity and just cling to it with both hands. It's like, she knew exactly what she was given the opportunity to do, and she ran with that. So, bravo. But that's kind of what the character was there. Casca, um, in the book until we get to the reveal at the end of who he is and what his role is in The Hunger Games as a whole, um, isn't well portrayed. Here, we get the hint of who he is the entire way through, and we do get the... Oh, wait, I'm not going that way. We do get the, the sense that he is, you know, that he is this person who's burdened with something the entire way through. He's not just a drunk for the sake of being a drunk. And again, that comes from the fact that we're watching a movie that is not in first person, because we do have snow on screen While it is mostly what see, we We don't really see anything that doesn't happen to snow We're not getting snow's tinge And snow's bias towards things Um So for him to get this thing where it's like We get to see him through a more objective lens Where he is the Oppenheimer Who created the Hunger Games And is looking in horror At his drunken creation That was done half as a joke And the other half as a school assignment And it's just one of those things like, holy shit, that is dark. Um, that's not to say there are problems. Um, I think that, and again, it does come with the fact that this is an adaptation. I think fundamentally the more interesting parts of this story come after and before it. Um, kind of, I want to know more about what happened with the Dark Days. We get a little taste of it in the very beginning with the flashback to Tigris and, and Coriolanus in the, you know in the capital during the war. Um, Like, we get a little taste, but I don't think that's really enough. I want to, you know, what led up to this war? Like, what happened in this world that led to this point? Um, And I want to see that a little bit more. And the same goes for, like, we're told the Snow family is this powerful family that's fallen on hard times, which kind of gives us a weird, you know, kind of similar thing where, like... The entire time I'm watching this, I'm like, this reminds me a lot of how you would do an adaptation of Thrawn Ascendancy. Because it's kind of the same thing. Um, But at the same time, when you're sitting there, you're you're trying to figure out where, you know, what was the Snow Family big for? What was the, the structure in which the Snow Family was this esteemed ruling house prior to the Dark Days? And then how does that figure into why are they now dying? Why is his family now on its last leg with Snow as its last hope? And then the question also becomes, not just that, but also, why is there a Christmas tree already lit on government property in mid-November? That's not the question that I was asking, that's just me driving and noticing that. Um, The question that I have is, what happens down the line? I want to see more of Snow's rise to power. Now that we have him as a character who we can love to hate, I want to see him come into his own. I want to see him become the, the, the man that is Donald Sutherland. Um, and there are so many little moments in this movie that I just love, and how they dovetail back into the original. And, and, and before we get to that, though, I also want to see the falling out between him and Tigris. Because that's the other thing, is that, I don't know if anyone else remembers this, but there's that furry that appears in Mockingjay Part 2, where it's like, oh, this is a little weird. Um, that's the same character. As as Hunter Schaefer's character here, and she's also great in this movie. Um, I really enjoyed her performance, and I want to see what causes her to join in because the way she's characterized here is, you know, is is kind of interesting. Where she's looking at the horror of the Hunger Games and 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 kind of like this is horrible. Like she is one of those people that's like sympathetic to the tributes, what happens where she decides to become a stylist for the Hunger Games? And then, what leads to her falling out with Snow to the point where she's helping Katniss bring him down? Her cousin, who is kind of a brother to her. I want to see that story. And I think that that's kind of the ultimate thing with this and why this works so well. If you go and watch the first Hunger Games movie, you don't have an immediate what happens next. That story is ended. This one I left and I'm like, I want more. If they announced tomorrow they're doing a show on stars that Lionsgate and like, you know, stars. if they announced tomorrow they're doing a, a Hunger Games continuing series about Snow's years aging, I would be like, number one, how do I get into that writer's room? And number two, can we, you know, can we have that next week? Like, that is how well this movie is executed um, and I think too it's like when you when you watch this kind of where we are with this is there are so many little things that dovetail back to what leads to his fall and and the one thing I'm not really particularly keen on is the use of the quote at the very end um, it's the things we love most to destroy us I love that quote from mocking part one uh, with Donald Sutherland delivering that as, as he's talking to Katniss. Um, but in this case, Lucy Gray doesn't really tie into his fall in any meaningful way. That's kind of the issue that I have with this. It's like, Lucy Gray does not... Like, Lucy Gray disappears, and then by the time The Hunger Games happen, it's just no one talks about the female victor from from District 12, like, even Katniss, like, when they talk about it in the book, it's like Katniss is kind of like, well, we did have one female victor years ago, but that's the entirety of what they talk about. Is, is, that's, that's the beginning and end of Lucy Gray's acknowledgement in the original book. Because she ran off, and it's because the, the capital wouldn't want to talk about that. Um, so obviously they wouldn't bring her up again. Um, and I think it would be, like, a sequel to this. Would be so interesting. I, I would be so on board with that. Um, yeah, and there's so many little things, like... Like, him being tormented at the very end of, of his time with Lucy. with Him being tormented by the... Uh, what's it called? By the... Uh, um, the mocking jays singing The the Hanging Tree, which is a song that was written... I mean, and, and unless that's the only thing they mean, is that it's like... Oh, that song that became a Battle Cry was written by Lucy Gray, but I don't think that's particular that that's a stretch, I think. Um and at the end of the day it's like that whole sequence is just so great. The mocking Jays all 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 whistling the tune of it to torment him as, as Lucy escapes. Like it, it it's one of those things where it's like when we talk about the prequels in Star Wars, they add some context, but there are things where it's like you would think that that would have been kind of referenced at some point in in this. Like, where it's like it's kind of weird that no one talks about this, and and to an extent, that's kind of the problem you have with prequels. To an extent, you'd think you would have some kind of emotional response in in uh, what's it called in 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 Jay, with the song that is the salvation. The, the the proper that is the salvation for district thirteen is 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 scored to the song that you know comes back to all this that was written by this woman that he was in love with, um, and even that love story is handled so much better here, like when you when you like. Because we don't have to live with Snow's constant inner thoughts of, I want to, like, I'm in love with this girl. I'm in love with Lucy Gray. It doesn't come off as he's in love with her. And then by contrast, when it comes time for him to have his fall, it's like, oh, I can buy that he only developed, emotion like, romantic feelings for her in his time in 12. So his willingness to ditch that, to get his family back, and to get his life back, I can buy that for who this character is you don't in the book he's too deeply into that which is a problem uh, I think it's very well handled here. what else have I got um I think that's really it I, I'm very very like this month so far has been two major surprises for me. Because it's not that I went into the Marvel thinking I wasn't going to like it. I went into the Marvel thinking it was going to be fun and I really enjoyed that. This I went in with no expectations. I went into this movie expecting to, not, I don't want to say hate it, but I expected to leave the theater and be like, yeah, the movie's competently made and, and it is, you know, it's another Hunger Games movie, but my fundamental issues that I have with the narrative are still intact. This movie solved a lot of those problems. And it wasn't until I watched the movie after just listening to the book that I'm like, oh, that's why I had this big of a problem here. It's because it's in first-person, but then once you get rid of that, it solves it. So I think that that is kind of where I am on this. Um, Check this movie out. Definitely worth checking out. If you've liked the previous—I would say this is the best of the Hunger Games movies. um, To the point where it's like, no—even Mockingjay Part 1 and even, um, you know, Catching Fire— the way those movies end where it's like... They're meant to be like we are going into a sequel. Like I would think the first Hunger Games movie... Doesn't really end on a... We need to go... You need to see the next movie. Um... Like... I, this one is one where I left and I was like... Can I get more? When can I get more? And and how quickly will I be getting more? Um... Which is good. If we're, if we're thinking the death of the superhero movie let's see you know let's see more let's see the 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 YA and science fiction fantasy adaptation make a resurgence uh, if this is gonna re- if we're gonna have something take over the the superhero movie in the 2020s uh, maybe this will be it we'll go back to this or back to that I mean eh, it's kind of dominated in the 2000s but we'll wrap up there for today tomorrow we'll be talking about the holdovers tomorrow morning we'll be talking about invincible episodes two and three we'll be catching up with that because uh, wait what's that Is that today? I think that is today. We'll definitely do episode two tomorrow. I don't know if episode three is out. Uh, But we'll be doing definitely episode two tomorrow, maybe episode two and three. Um, And we'll be back with. Oh, yeah, because Loki's done. Um, We'll be back with more as it happens. Until our next episode, have a great rest of your week.